This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC in New York, this is On the Media. I'm Brooke Gladstone. Since the war in Ukraine began, we've been deluged by content. We've seen footage of the main TV tower in Kyiv smoldering after a missile hit, fathers waving goodbye to their children through train windows, civilians huddled in metro stations. We should note that some pundits were notably more bothered by the tragedy in Ukraine than elsewhere. This isn't a place, with all due respect, you know, like Iraq or Afghanistan that has seen conflict raging for decades. You know, this is a relatively civilized, relatively European, I have to choose those words carefully. And this is not a developing third world nation. This is Europe. This framing definitely got to MSNBC's Mehdi Hassan. First off, Europe has been home to some of the worst war crimes in human history. I mean, the Holocaust. So why this surprise that bad things are happening in Europe? And second, when they say, oh, civilized cities and in another clip, well-dressed people and this is not the third world, they really mean white people, don't they? The reason Amid the deluge of coverage, lots of misdirection. One video, later identified as ripped from a video game, was used to boost the tale of the so-called Ghost of Kyiv, a likely mythical Ukrainian fighter said to have downed six Russian planes. On TikTok, those videos reached 200 million views. Other images, as from Ukraine's revolution in 2014, have also been stripped of their original context and recycled. Over the decades, OTM has produced many printable one-page guides to breaking news, ranging from airplane crashes to coups, and many of those tips can be applied to consuming news about Ukraine. Read past the headline, check the dates, diversify your sources, and pause long and hard before retweeting. But this week, I asked Jane Litvinenko of the Technology and Social Change Project at Harvard's Shorenstein Center for advice on how to parse a story so riven with misinformation. She's Ukrainian and in constant distressing touch with loved ones. We started with how to determine the truth of all those videos. So one important thing is to look out for the surroundings. Some videos taken from other conflict and war zones are set in deserts, for example. Ukraine doesn't have a desert, so that should be an immediate red flag. If you see a lot of barricades on the ground, those videos may be from the 2014 revolution where there was much street fighting. Mm -hmm. As well, it's really important to be aware that most blitzkriegs take place in the evening or at night. What are clues that you're reading Kremlin-sponsored news? Social media companies have been labeling Russian state-sponsored news So noticing them, sometimes they can be quite small, is a very Mm -hmm. good first step. Also, Google it. Right. Typing in the name of the outlet along with Russia State Sponsored or Russia Propaganda will often give you the context. 
If Kiev is spelled as K-I-E-V, that's the Russian transliteration of the name, and that's an immediate red flag. Mm-hmm. If you see the Ukraine versus Ukraine, that's also a red flag. And that's how we all grew up in the U.S. Yes. Talking about Kiev and the Ukraine. Yes. And of course, we may see some of those errors today because this change in language is still new from legitimate outlets. On a bigger scale, Russian narratives are quite pervasive. Of course, we see the big ones like uh, denazification of Ukraine, so calling Ukraine a country filled with, you know, far-right nationalists should be a huge red flag. There's a lot of whataboutism. Being aware of the ways in which they use wedge issues to undermine a conversation is a really good first step. One wedge issue that we've seen a lot is the U.S.'s involvement in other wars and Mm. other conflicts. The U.S.'s involvement has by far not always been righteous. But in this case, of course, Ukraine is asking for help from U.S. and the EU. You saw a pro-Russian channel video where a man pointed at a blank spot in the ground and said, this is where genocide victims were buried. In Ukraine. The context in which I saw this was aimed at Russian speakers in Donbass, the occupied region of Ukraine. We see a lot of propaganda continue to be aimed at Russian supporters in that region, as well as Russians overall. Yeah, let's talk about the PSYOPs operations that are targeted against Ukrainians that sometimes seep out into the international community. Yeah, a lot of Russian disinformation, particularly within Ukraine, is not focused on these overarching narratives that we're talking about in the West. They're focused on sowing confusion in individual battles. Russia has also been mum about how many soldiers it lost on the ground, how much equipment it lost. We're not going to know exact counts either from Ukraine or from Russia for a long time, if ever. But a lot of the disinformation aims to demoralize Ukrainians and in some cases, in a very sinister turn, increase civilian death counts. Should we always trust Ukrainian sources, Jane? I know this is a rather... A brusque question to be asking you, especially at this point. But what do you think? You know, I think that we have to look soberly. The role of the Ukrainian government right now is to uphold morale to the best of their ability. And so particularly the hard numbers should be taken with a grain of salt. You were born in Ukraine. You have family there. You've described how you've been relying on a Reuters live stream to stay connected. You wrote in The Atlantic, nothing's fake here. There's no algorithm. It's not a green screen against which TV pundits discuss Russia's next move. The live stream isn't trying to convince me of anything. It's just showing me things as they are. You know, I've um, I've had to stop watching that live stream mm-hmm. because I have this horrible fear that I will watch one of my favorite places be destroyed. That's really difficult to cope with. Um, instead, I've turned to public telegram channels. Ukrainians are putting up videos 
the report where the power is out at certain neighborhoods. They do their best to film Russian military equipment and be granular with the information. Also, much like a police scanner, the telegram channels tell me where the air raid alerts are Mm -hmm. on a minute-by-minute basis so that I can understand when I look up at a more mainstream social media network where those videos may be coming from. Where do you suggest our listeners should look? I understand that the answer of mainstream media is an unsatisfying answer, but... Various newsrooms have reporters on the ground who are risking their lives to bring accurate information. There's also Ukrainian news outlets like New Voice Ukraine and Kiev Independent who are trying to get English language information to international audiences. And of course, the video verification teams of the Washington Post, the New York Times, Bellingcat, the conflict intelligence team, Mm -hmm. work very hard to make sure that the videos they share are accurate. Reuters said that Twitter said (laughs) it was going to begin to label and reduce the visibility of tweets that contain links to Russian state media, Mm -hmm. like RT and Sputnik. Guardian reports that Apple has removed the Russia Today and Sputnik News apps from the Apple App Store outside Russia. A statement from Apple says it also disabled traffic and live incidents on Apple Maps to protect Ukrainian citizens inside Ukraine. The Ukrainian people, of course, understand the power of propaganda and have turned to social media networks to ask for action. But Russia here has been equally aggressive. Early on during the war, Facebook said that Russia told it to stop its fact-checking operation, which Facebook refused to do. Russia has reportedly begun blocking YouTube in the country. Every time social media networks move to restrict Russian propaganda, Russia responds by restricting social media networks within the country. Facebook banned state-sponsored Russian media in Europe, but not in other parts of the world. And I wish I knew why. (laughs) If Russian propaganda is dangerous in Europe, isn't it equally dangerous in other parts of the world? Part of it, I'm sure, is the political pressure. But there needs to be some consistency. There's also a lot that they're doing that we likely don't see. Mm-hmm. They don't announce the removal of every page or Facebook group or Twitter account, which is particularly troublesome because we need a record of the propaganda for historical record. And we need a record of war crimes for historical record. Laura Edelson, who's a researcher at New York University, she said the U.S. government, quote, flooded the zone with truthful information about the conflict and notes how stories such as those that depict Ukrainians fleeing with their pets are helpful in humanizing the conflict for those outside the country. She wrote that the past week has been a masterclass in how positive actors with strong information operations and tech platforms being somewhat sensible can create an environment in which misinformation struggles to take hold. I think she's right on point. The most powerful voices that we've seen have been voices of truth, voices of Ukrainians themselves. 
it's really difficult to put wool over the people's eyes when you're bombing innocent civilians, when those innocent civilians are filming those bombs and are putting out their own stories, their own feelings, their own struggles during the war. The fierce determination to force the world to look at Ukraine has really been, in my opinion, one of the best tools Ukrainians have when it comes to getting politicians on their side and when it comes to getting the international community on their side. They, we really, are explaining what's happening on the ground. And of course, we can't forget the Ukrainian sense of humor. Russian battleship F-off has become a national rallying cry. We shouldn't let that distort the horrific situation. But it's another side to Ukrainian resistance. And uh, the attack on the TV tower shows that Russia is not happy about how effective Ukrainian media has been. The simultaneous destruction of the largest Jewish cemetery in the country and the destruction of the communication tower, I think, symbolically tells you all you need to know about this war. Jane, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Jane Litvinenko is a senior research fellow at the Technology and Social Change Project at Harvard University's Shorenstein Center. Coming up, how open source intelligence is penetrating the fog of war. This is Arma Media. <laughs> <laughs> 